This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Craig Bernier, Steve Combs, Matt Cantrell, Katie Dietrich, all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Rachel, welcome to The Adventure Jogger. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, I saw what you did at the H9 (laughs) Fierce Dragon 200 miler. Yeah. (laughs) What's crazy about that race, Rachel, is Mm -hmm. only a handful of people sign up for that every single year. People talk all the time about, I want a tough 200 miler. I want a tough 200 miler. 60,000 feet over, over 60,000 yeah. feet of elevation gain. It's on the Duncan Ridge Trail as, as well as others mm-hmm. in a very rocky and remote section of northern Georgia. There's only three women who have ever finished this race, you being one of them. Rachel, I am shocked that there is not. <laughs> a parking lot full of people in Subarus ready to run this race every single year. Yeah, it's uh I think people are scared of it. I mean, I think it's just the time of year mm-hmm. because the weather is just so um it, it's literally it, it's so temp- temperamental. Yeah. Um there's rain, there's snow, it's hot, it's cold. Um I think a lot of people just are uh, just scared of like a January race with that much climbing. <laughs> Should we call them so, out? Should we make chicken noises, Rachel, to get people to sign yeah. up for next year? <laughs> yes, <God>. absolutely. <laughs> Who's chicken? Everybody yeah. says they want to run these things. Come on, why aren't you signing Seriously. up for this? Um, and I think you're probably right. It has to do with the unpredictableness of January mm-hmm. weather in northern Georgia. It could be 90 degrees. It could be zero Exactly. <laughs> you could experience both of those extremes mm-hmm. in the same day, in, in the same race. Um, I think, too, the laps thing. This is 20, mm-hmm. 20 hard miles per lap. And you got to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And for you, you've got to do, do it 10 times. You got to basically do a brutal lap. 10 times, which is not, yeah. a, not an easy thing for some people to wrap their minds around. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually like a 45 mile lap okay. from like Vogel to Vogel. So, um, which is still, it's, it is a very, very strange concept and one that, um, it, it's almost, it's like a blessing and a curse, you know? Uh, cause you finish the first lap and you're like, Oh my gosh, I still have to do four more of these. And it's the same thing (laughs) over and over. But at the same time, like you finish a lap and you get to kind of like reset and you know where the aid stations are, you know, what's coming. Um, You get used to seeing all the same trees and uh, all the same roots and all the same rocks. So there's a lot of, um, there's a, definitely a benefit to it because like Vogel was kind of the the place where everyone would kind of, if you had a cabin, you'd shower and you could like take a nap if you wanted to um, just get that full reset. That's really important for finishing a race with like this much climbing and this much descent because you really, really, really have to take care of yourself. So it's more of an adventure race than anything else. Um, and I, I kind of approached it thinking, oh, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to keep going and going and going and see what happens and not sleep. But um, I found out very quickly that that's not that's not going to work for this. You know, <laughs> it's not. You have to rest and you have to prioritize all of the little but minor but major things in order to finish a race of this like caliber, you know. Right. So, cause it's, it's not yeah. it's not hand holding at Mm -mm. any aspect of the race there is 
I mean, there's there's aid, but it's not the aid stations you think of at some bigger races where it's every five miles and it's tacos and granola <laughs> and everything you could yeah. possibly <laughs> stand for. Shots of fireball everywhere. Right. In the in the forty five mile, so Vogel the Vogels. So you go out, you come mm-hmm. back. Um, how much aid is in that forty five miles? Um, so there's three aids going out, and then so there's a total of six aid stations. Yeah. Um, and the beauty of it is that they are there. I mean, there's a hundred mile race that starts on Friday mm-hmm. and a hundred k, and then a forty mile race that starts Saturday. But from Tuesday to that time, they are just there for you. Like they're there for the two or three people who signed up for this race, which is such like a beautiful thing. Um, Cause you, you'll just roll into that aid station and they're just there to serve you. And they're, I don't know. It just goes to show how important like the volunteers are in races like this. Cause they like their kindness really went a, a long way. But um, yeah, I mean the first lap um, they didn't really have any food. They didn't have, they had like maybe some water set up um none of the aid stations were really anything um they did have our drop bags but they did not have my drop bag at one of the aid stations on the first lap but uh some of the volunteers brought my because i had my headlamp and my waist lamp and one of that and that drop bag which was very important Mm -hmm. so she brought it like to the next aid station but the aid at first was just like almost almost non-existent (laughs) i want to say because they were still setting up and getting things going um and then the first night there was there was no one manning the aid stations um and we got to the skina which is the 20 mile aid station and they were asking me they were like why didn't you check in why didn't you check in at those aid stations we were so worried about you we're like there was no one there they wanted (laughs) us to like knock on the knock on people's car doors or something but um yeah those were kind of the little niggles that we had to work out in the very beginning but um I love After that. that. Everything was manned. Yeah. I love like Rachel. Listen, um, we were worried sick about you. Why didn't you yeah. check in? And you're like, well, got there, nobody around. All I saw was a tent and a table, yep. bowl of M and M's, some Gatorade, mm-hmm. and I figured, yeah. go on my way. Absolutely. <laughs> we zoomed on through. <laughs> you have on to, to yeah. yeah. You have to approach training to this, Rachel. Mm-hmm. as being very self-sufficient. You know, there's some races you can train like, okay, I'm going to set up what would be an aid station at my car. And I'll right. do five miles, come back to my car, five miles, come back to my car. This race, this H9 Fierce Dragon 200 miler, this is something that you really need to train to be self-sufficient and to carry a lot more than you normally would. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, just given the weather too, uh, you need to have gloves and hats and layers on you at all times. Um, and I had drop bags and drop bins that had a lot of like extra clothing, extra shoes, extra food. Um, I basically relied on my drop bags uh, as opposed to most of the aid station mm-hmm. food, just because I had so much, I was, I was overprepared, yeah. but, um, I'd rather be overprepared for something like this than underprepared. Um, so my pack was, I had endless food in my pack. I mean, it was overflowing. The race director, Perry, actually made fun of me for having so much stuff in my pack. Cause he was like, you know, there are aid stations. I was, I was like, I know, but I don't know if I'm going to be in the mood for this food or this or that, you know? Um, so I am just, I would rather have more in my pack and have everything that I need. And the weight does not bother me than, um, be in the middle of the trail and be missing something, you right. know? So yeah, I'm used to kind of having all the, all the things on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just looking at your ultra sign up and you really haven't signed up for any, and I use this term very lightly, uh, the cupcake races, you sign up for some very hard yeah. stuff, which we'll get, get <laughs> yeah. into momentarily. So you finish this first lap, right? 45 miles. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. four more of these to do. It's not easy. Um, your plan going in was, I'm just going to plow right through this. No sleep. You soon found that that was a bad idea. Did you take a break after the first lap? Yeah. So I was running with Matt, who is the other finisher of the race. And we ran together the first lap and we got to know each other very well. 
Um, and he was asking me what my plan was um, after the first lap. And I was like, I'm not really sure. What are you going to do? And he was like, I'm going to sleep. He had run it last year as well and finished it. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing. Um, very experienced. So he helped me out a lot. Um, so he's like, I'm going to lay down for at least two hours. Let's meet up again at 1 a.m. Um, mm. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a great plan. Thank you for giving me that because I needed somebody to be like, you need to, you need to rest. Like, listen, so this plowing right like, through idea is yeah. stupid. You need to get some rest, young lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was nice to have someone to run. Mm. We ran the first 90 miles together, which that's a long time nope. to be running with someone. Heck um, yeah, 90, <laughs> mi- 90 miles with somebody? That's a, yeah. that's a whole lot of time to spend with somebody. It is. <laughs> it is. So... Yeah. So I laid down. I did not sleep the first after the first lap, though. I did lay down and close my eyes, but sleep was not within reach for me yet. Um, And I did feel it on the second lap uh, because we went out and it was not a good feeling for us, either of us, because it was snowing and we were cold and uh, it was only the second lap. And I tried very hard not to focus on that because I had to focus on the muddy, slippery, snowy trail ahead of me, uh, which was also a bit disheartening because it slowed us down, you know, and we were both struggling a lot on that lap, for sure, uh, mentally and physically. But towards the end of that one, uh, Matt told me, he was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to sleep for like four or five hours, however long I need. Uh, And then you can do that or you can just go out on your own. And I decided that I would go out on my own because I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep for that long. Um, So on the second lap, I was actually, somebody let me like use their cabin. Uh, I didn't have a cabin. I was just using the cot in like the group shelter. So I was able to shower and I slept for two hours after the second lap. And I went out feeling very rejuvenated on lap three. I was like, ah, this is great. I'm doing this, you know, I'm at mile, what, like 90 something and life is great. Yeah. Um, but of course that, that feeling, la- it, it'll go for so long and you can hold on to that feeling for as long as you can. And then of course it's going to dissipate eventually. But, uh, cause at the end of lap three, I was feeling horrible again, but not, not so it, mostly just like fatigue, like mental fatigue. Like I need to sleep. I need to rest. I was starting to hallucinate a bit. Um, Food was great. I was eating, you know, every 30 minutes. I ate at every aid station. I just kept on eating and I was never satisfied, never full, ever, <laughs> never full, uh, <laughs> which, I mean, that's just the the nature of this thing. Um, so after lap three, I tried laying down and I was so tired, but I did not sleep at all, um, which was very unfortunate because I got up at about I think I went out at like 9.30 p.m. and uh, I was just feeling, I was just feeling mentally kind of spent. Um, it was lap number, lap number four. And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm only at mile like 120 or 130. I, I'm not right. sure what it was at that point, but right. um, you know, two laps to go. I'm feeling very tired, didn't get to sleep, um, which was definitely, not going to benefit me at all so i went to the first aid station fire pit and i caffeinated i tried to get my mind a little bit more alert um but when between fire pit and mulkey which was the next aid station i was starting to see hallucinate a bit um like demons and stuff like that or what i generally hallucinate okay Um, okay well let's not plow (laughs) through that okay let's let's stop i always love to talk to people about their hallucinations. And one of my favorite hallucinations was someone saying they were seeing music and they weren't yeah. hearing oh, wow. music. They were seeing it. So they were okay. seeing music out in front of them. And it was the strangest yeah. thing ever. Um, I, I generally have not hallucinated anything mm. too crazy. So, so <laughs> here you are, you're seeing demons. Yeah. You're seeing yeah. demons in the Georgia woods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that is unfamiliar to me. Uh, <laughs> the the demons thing that's typically what I'll start seeing. Um, because so I used to just to backtrack in my life. Um, I used to I, I'm in recovery, so I used to do drugs, and when I I would do meth. Um, 
I would be awake for weeks at a time. And those were the same hallucinations that I see when I'm sleep deprived during a, a race. So, so <laughs> okay. All right. So you just opened yeah. a can of worms there, Rachel. So you're in, you're in recovery and we can get to that in a moment. I want, I want to, I want to get through the, the, this, this H nine experience and yeah. then we can backtrack for a little sure. bit. So that has to be scary for you. As someone who's in recovery, as someone who was addicted to, to meth, and we all have seen the pictures of what that does to someone, and, and mm-hmm. we've heard the stories of what it can do to someone mentally, you're seeing the things that you saw <laughs> when you were an addict, when you were at the lowest point of your addiction, these things that yeah. you would see, and now you're you're clear, you're clean, you're sober, and you're out exercising and now mm-hmm. you're seeing the reminders of who you used to be that had to yeah. just that has to be crazy it, it is yeah um it's pretty fascinating at least i know it's not real uh when i'm out there and but it doesn't make it any more pleasant um but yeah it, it it's definitely it's an interesting concept. Like it's like your inner demons are coming out and yeah. you actually are, are seeing them with your eyes rather than them being buried. So I kind of think of it that way. Um, but when I do start seeing them during normal, like hundred mile races, I'll mm-hmm. start to hallucinate and I'm just like, I just got to get through it because there's an end in sight. But with this, I did not particularly enjoy it because it was only like 2 a.m you know and i still had a lot of darkness to go like nighttime and so i you know i went to the next um the next aid station mulkey after seeing some hallucinations and stuff and i was like all right i need to sleep i need to close my eyes for you know 20 or 30 minutes and i set my alarm and i sat in the chair and i think i closed my eyes for about 10 minutes i did not sleep but I let my mind rest a little bit. Um, and all the aid station people, they were absolutely incredible. They were always ready for me other than that first night. Mm-hmm. They were always there waiting for me with their fire, like their furnaces on, um, ready to help me. And it was just, they, you know, amazing people. Um, so closed my eyes. And then the guy at the aid station gym, um, he gave me coffee. I think he gave me a monster, which I had in my bin and, uh just ate some food and i left feeling a little bit better a little bit more cheerful because at the next aid station skina i would be seeing my crew person teresa and um the woman who actually ran the race last year celia she was also crewing at that aid station or not crewing um volunteering and we had been in contact so i was excited to meet her so i had like something to look forward to celia Um, by the way celia and teresa have both been on the adventure jogger so people can go back and listen oh, to Teresa's yes. episode and Celia's episode. Um, Celia nice. <laughs> was the second woman to, to, mm-hmm. to finish. Um, yes. You being the third. Um, Teresa's story is fantastic as well, worth checking out. And it was kind of it was kind of interesting to see paths cross. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that? Yeah. <laughs> I just talked to Teresa. That that's kind of cool. So yeah, yeah that does yeah. give you, you know, here you're going through this darkness of seeing demons. Who knows if there were actual workers at those aid stations, Rachel? You don't. I mean, the one time you were there, <laughs> exactly. there was no one there. Oh, I my mean, gosh. Who really gave you coffee? We don't really know. Right. Um, but we know Teresa's real. We can say 100% yeah. that Teresa's real. Was it nice to be that far into a race and then know that you had somebody there that was going to take you most of the rest of the way? Yes, it definitely did. That was another thing that I great, very much look for, looked forward to because I spent a lot of the middle part of the race alone and I enjoyed it, well, for a bit, but it gets, it's a long, long, long time out there. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, with your own thoughts and trying to focus on just the trail in front of you and not all the things that you have to do you know, all the miles yeah, that are left. Yeah. Um, so yeah, knowing that Teresa was out there and that she was going to be finishing with me was a really, really great feeling. And she's very supportive, loving, uh, kind, 
an amazing crew person, an amazing pacer, and an amazing friend. So yeah, it's amazing person yeah. all, all the way around. Like you want to have that mm-hmm. cheery type of great person to get you through. Yeah. After you just got done seeing demons, you need a little Teresa right. Bowser in your <laughs> life, you know, to to, yeah. to, 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 make, to make things a little bit better. So you get back. Exactly. Four loops are done. Do they give mm-hmm. you an? Is the last loop out of five is that abbreviated? Because with forty five miles to the mm-hmm. loop, so it's really not a two hundred mile race. It's a two hundred and twenty five no. mile race. It was about yeah, it was about two twenty one, two twenty something like that. Yeah, man, I'll um, tell you, getting one or two <laughs> extra bonus miles, you're like ah, they can't be exact. Yeah. When you're like, we're twenty one over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was fully any race that's on the Duncan Ridge, any race director who puts on a race out there always, always lies about the distance. I mean, I know 100 milers are generally a, a few miles over, maybe even a mile under or something like that. But like I've run Cruel Jewel a few times and it, it's always for four to eight miles more than they advertise. So I'm just just whatever you know just whatever mile is gonna be it's gonna be that's what i how i look at it honestly and they always say we won't charge you extra like if you get more miles on your watch don't worry we won't charge you extra right there you go (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's funny because there's always that hope right like when you're looking at a a race and you go like maybe they were short you know like you're like (laughs) yeah yeah, but who knows? It rarely ever turns out that they're short. It always turns exactly. out that they're 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 long, and you're like, well, oh, yeah. there goes 200, and we've got 21 miles to go, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty crazy if you think about it. It's like 21 miles is a long time, but when you're out there, it's just like the miles don't even it doesn't even matter anymore. It's just like I just need to get to the end, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, and I would think that when when the when your watch hits 200. Mm-hmm. that's a big occasion, right? You're mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, my it watch is. just, just went into the two hundreds. Do you, yeah. s- do you smell the barn at that point and go like, I know I've got 21 miles to go based on the loop mm-hmm. back and forth. You kind of know where you are and, and how long it's going to take you to get back. Do you smell the barn at that point and go like, okay, this is in the bag. I got to 200. I can get to 221. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I smelled the barn when I was at Vogel for the last time, you know, and mm-hmm. I had 45 miles left to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In my head, I was like, it's only 45. It's just one lap. Like I can, I can literally do that. And when you think of it that way, it's like 45 miles is a long time, but um, I just did so many, I just did so many miles that it, it doesn't even make a difference anymore. I mean, there was never a part of me that was like, I cannot do this. Mm-hmm. There's never a part of me that was like, I'm going, I wanted to give up or anything like that. There were just some moments where I was like, Oh, this is hard. But yeah, at the 200 mile mark, it was such a cool occasion, but I didn't get to celebrate as much as I would have liked just because yes, I smelled the barn, but I was still in that. Uh, the last lap was a struggle um, just in terms of my feet hurt. And uh, as they're going to after that amount of miles and I just, yeah, it, it it was just it was very difficult to focus to stay positive at times um, because twenty one miles is a short like it's a very long time but it's also it, it's short in the grand scheme of things but yeah yeah so the barn was being smelled but I was still in a dark place so <laughs> you moved to yeah. that dark place though and mm-hmm. you get back to the start finish mm-hmm. and it's now reality. You are now the third woman to yeah. complete the H9 Fierce Dragon 200 miler ish. We'll just say the ish on there because it's 200 ish yeah. miles. You're going to get a, right. lot of, a lot of bonus <laughs> miles out there. How did that feel to not only be done, but to know that you've done something that only now two other women at the time had ever done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it felt it felt amazing. Uh, I got to the finish line, and the race director Perry was there, and there were a few others just like waiting for me. And I just was walking it in; I wasn't running. Um, <laughs> and I just it didn't feel real, you know. I just I was still my head was still like in such a haze that I was very grateful, and um, mine was definitely blown that my body held up so well, and that everything worked out the way that it did uh which i guess just goes to show to like decent training and all that but um 
yeah and i didn't know i was only i was the third woman but the two um the two celia and then the previous finisher they were or the previous woman finisher uh they were both there and we had a picture together and it was just like a really really special moment um to just you know be there amongst all the very strong women so yeah, yeah it was I mean, good it's a it's 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 there's not many things that you can say only three women have ever done you know, I mean, that's that, that's pretty impressive. I think it speaks to the difficulty of the race. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people are, it's it's a little, too, there's too many unknowns, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, the 200 milers out West are going to be hot or, you know, just yep. depend. Like if you're going, if you're going to do Cocodona, it's going to get hot. Don't be surprised right. if it's hot. It's in the desert for crying out loud. Right. But you really don't know what you're going to get. And the fact that you've done all those loops. What did you learn about yourself during these 221 miles? Um, I learned that I am capable. <laughs> it's very cliche, but I am capable of doing very, very hard things. Mm-hmm. As long as you literally just have to keep going. And it is just the mind, mind over matter. And you can't let your brain get overwhelmed by the darkness yeah. or else you're just not going to make it. Um, so kept on looking to the light and it all worked out. So good lesson to learn. Looking Mm -hmm. back at this now, why did you want to do the, the fierce dragon? Um, so I have a very, I have an infatuation with the Duncan Ridge trail. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just something very, very special about that North Georgia in general to me. Um, so I had been eyeballing it for not like for maybe a year or two. Um, I was going to run it last year, but it it was an expense thing. It is one of the cheaper 200 milers. It's only like 600 something, which is fantastic. Um, so I didn't end up running it last year, but I was running cruel jewel this past year. And there was a man who was like, you know, you should sign up for the fierce dragon. I think you would do well. And I was like, Ooh, I forgot that was, you know, that was a possibility. Um, and I really love doing really hard things. And the idea of 60,000 plus feet of climbing is just to me, it's insane. I mean, during the race, I, I looked down at my watch one time and I was at like 58,000 feet. And I was like, this, like, this is incredible. This is, this is such a sh- like bizarre thing to be doing and I'm able to do this and yeah I just wanted to see how my body would hold up because I mean I've done climbing and I like to climb but not that much ever um so like the 200 mile distance is one thing but then you add the ascent and descent so Mm -hmm. it's the same amount of descent you know um into it and it's like that is a challenging race for sure yeah so and I would think that now that you've finished that there's really not anything else you'd be scared of there's really no race you'd be like i don't know that seems a little too out of my wheelhouse it really does seem like finishing that race would give you the courage to sign up for just about anything else yeah absolutely i mean it is it's true it's like you know i'm signed up for cruel jewel again i'm like ah that's only 100 miles i might as well just do it twice you know (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I th- I think like maybe this will inspire me to do more um just like adventure on my own mm-hmm. runs as well. Uh that are kind of like longer distance cuz I really do love this I love I thought I loved 100 miles but like there's just something so special about the running being out there for 4 or 5 days. Um yeah. it's really it's it's, I don't know, like a spiritual journey almost, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on that win. But we got to, we got to backtrack a little bit. You dropped a bomb in that first half hour <laughs> that we just can't walk yeah. away from. Let's, yeah. let's go, let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Where'd you grow up? Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in uh, Ellington, Connecticut. Okay. So, and uh, I currently live in North Carolina, Asheville. Okay. So you're so. in the Asheville area. Very nice. Asheville's mm-hmm. a very, very, very cool town. Um, oh, yeah. were, were you a, a runner as a kid? Yes. Um, I started running when I was about five years old. My dad signed me up for five K's and 
I would run them, but I would cry during them because <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> um, and I'd always befriend like older women and they would run with me to the end. And then I would get a trophy or a medal because I was the youngest person in the race and I would win my age group. So, um, yeah, I had been running off and on and then, uh, I did other sports, but then my, I started running cross country in middle school. So like seventh grade. And that's kind of when I went like all in. Um, but you know, I had, I had a lot of struggles, mental health and stuff like, like depression. And I had an eating disorder, very severe eating disorder for like 11 years. So running was there, but I was also dealing with a lot of demons. Um, good Lord. So, yeah. So you start running cross country in middle school and the Mm -hmm. coach probably recognized you from those five K's 10 years earlier going, I can't wait till that kid gets in middle school. (laughs) That kid's going to be on my cross country team, whether they like it or not. So even in middle school, you're dealing with an eating disorder. Yeah. It started when I was like nine. Um, I started young, (laughs) Wow. Uh, but it didn't become, it became severe when I was very quickly actually uh at the age of 13 is when it kind of was like at its peak uh at its peak in the terms of because like i was anorexic um mm-hmm. like restricting food and all that so that's kind of um i don't know my parents tried to get me help and i didn't want help i was re- very resistant and yeah. then um i went in the opposite direction and i started like binging and purging mm-hmm. so you know bulimia mm-hmm. um and senior year of high school um i was like binging and purging every single day but i was also on the cross country team also on the track team um so i ended up having to uh we made state like we won the state championship and then we were going to go to state opens but i ended up having to not go to state opens because i got um admitted into like an outpatient breeding disorder yeah so i stopped going to school for like two months and tried to get help but i also wasn't ready to be healthy it was more uh i don't want to be bulimic anymore i want to be anorexic so um when I was in that outpatient, uh, I, they made me stop running and they made me stop exercising. Um, and that is when I lost who I was as a person, uh, because when I got out, I wasn't really better in any way, shape or form. And then I stopped participating in track. I didn't do track indoor or outdoor. Uh, I wasn't on the team anymore because I felt like I had lost my fitness because I stopped running Mm -hmm. when I was in treatment. Um, so mentally I was just getting lower and lower and then I was disconnected from the team and from the sport that I loved, um, which was really sad, but, uh, yeah. But then I went to college in New York, mm-hmm. New York city yeah. and it wasn't good. <laughs> um, I, I was very depressed and I had, I started failing classes. I started skipping classes. I was drinking every day. Um, I had a few like minor like suicide attempts because I was very sad uh, and not not well. So um, I ended up going back home to Connecticut after I kind of like failed out and stuff. And um, there was just a string of very unfortunate events. As soon as, basically as soon as I got home, I was still drinking when I was there, and my parents found out. And there were I went to another eating disorder place. I went to another. I went to some mental health facilities and then I went to a psych ward twice. <laughs> yeah. I ended up going rehab for alcohol. I came back. And then, um, as soon as I got back, I hung out with this guy that I had met at a psych ward and we started, I got kicked out of my parents' house for drinking. I moved in with him and we started dating. And then he turns out he was a heroin guy. Um, oh. and did a lot of drugs but I was already, I was at a point where I was like, I don't want to be alive in this reality anymore. So when I found out he did heroin, I quickly uh, kind of hopped on that bandwagon. So we basically did heroin and then it, and then meth as well uh, when we could afford it. But heroin was our main, main thing um, for, I don't know, three years, maybe, Rachel. Three years, which obviously running holy, wasn't there. <laughs> holy cow, Rachel, we need to back up just a little bit. Yeah. It seems like for you, 
you know, you talked about your dad made you run 5Ks when you were five years old and you cried and you hated it. But, yeah. but it was something that defined you, right? You were mm-hmm. Rachel the runner. And so you join the cross country team when you're in middle school, you do well. You run the track team, you do well. You have that all through high school. And it seemed like maybe that was something that you clung to. The running was yeah. was something you could cling to. Um, but understandably, not eating and running high mileage, the body mm-hmm. does not does not dig those things. Right. Yeah. And, and so I can It was very difficult. <laughs> right. I, I I I can you imagine had you not been putting yourself through that and, and, and weren't suffering from bulimia and anorexia, what you could have done? Because how, mm-hmm. how good you were with that that issue, how great, you know, there's a lot of like what could have been if you if yeah. you weren't battling bulimia and anorexia. And then of course the doctors are like, but well, he can't. I mean, he can't even eat anything. We can't have let her run. But that took mm-hmm. away the thing that almost made you feel maybe like you could escape your eating disorder and your depression when you were running. Yeah, exactly. It's like a double-edged sword type thing, you know. Uh, I didn't really win in any way, but it was part of the process that yeah. had to had to happen um because yeah yeah all of what you just said is definitely true um it was taken away but it had i I guess it had to be at the time that's what they thought needed to happen and um i did think about it a lot because i was on the varsity like i was i was pretty you know i was usually number three or four on the or two or three on the team um so of course i always thought like i could have i could have been so much faster i could have done so much better but that's just what, what it was. And in the grand scheme of things, it's okay. You know? Um, right. Look, look, but, look, look where you are now and we'll, we'll get to, yeah. we'll get, we'll get to that. I, I, I appreciate you. I, I did not find any of this in my research um, for you <laughs> uh, on, on the podcast. Yeah. I, I have no questions prepared for this, but, nice. but you, but you brought, <laughs> but, but you brought it up and, and I, I thank you for bringing it up for a couple mm-hmm. of reasons. Um, I think when people can talk about mental health issues in a very frank, non-judgmental way and just kind of say, hey, this was me. I was struggling with things. I think that sends a signal that it's not something to be ashamed of, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you bringing this up, it's a part of you. It defines who you are, right? But it's also something that we don't have to hush about and whisper about in the corner. People are dealing with mental health issues all over the place. And and sometimes it, it can seem like there's no hope. It can seem like you're, there's no change, right? There's You're desperate. Nothing will mm-hmm. ever make it better, right? And when you come on the podcast, and I say this often, it's if you play the drinking game, go ahead and get ready for a shot. Spoiler alert, it turned out well for Rachel, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she just she just conquered a race that only two other women had ever yeah. conquered. But you bring oh, yeah. but you bringing it up. I hope it gives hope that it can get better. And mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with you. You are not choosing to be mentally ill. You're not making that choice. It's something that is in genetics. There's a whole lot of other outlying factors. But you are not making the conscious choice to be mentally ill. It's not your fault. Right. You've never done anything to deserve it. Um, and it's not a choice you're making to put yourself through something. We don't have a stigma attached to cancer, right? Like We don't go, oh, God, they got cancer? What a wimp. You know, yeah. we don't judge people <laughs> right. when they have cancer or they break their leg or whatever but we still, in a way, big chunks of society judge people for for mental health issues. I am a survivor of depression. I'm a person, mm-hmm. I, I used to cut myself years and years and years and years and years ago. I'm past that now. I was, uh, as a survivor of mental health 
problems and someone who's on the other side of it, um, I can tell you that it gets better. Get some help. It's not your mm-hmm. fault. Take the step. Take that step to get better. What was that for you? Because you you, you just kind of ran through the Rachel story. The yeah. next thing you know, you meet some guy. You meet some guy at the hospital, and you're mm-hmm. you're doing drugs. You're shooting heroin, <laughs> heroin and meth. Yeah. You know, you couldn't have picked <laughs> marijuana. I'd have been like, well, it's the wacky yeah. tobacco. It's fine. Yeah. I know plenty of people who who do rather <laughs> rather well, and they're high all the time. But these are some serious, serious drugs. And you see what meth mm-hmm. does to people and the way it ruins your body. You said you went on this path for three years. You were. Mm-hmm. What, what was it that finally brought you out of that part of your life? Uh, I had gotten arrested uh, twice. Mm-hmm. So the second arrest... Um, was when I was at a much lower state of being. Because mm-hmm. uh, so Adam, that's the name of my ex. He was driving both times when I got arrested, and I'm yeah. the one that got arrested. But because um, I had something on me, yeah. the cops found it. But so I had a court date that we ended up skipping because Adam, my ex, he was in um, psychosis because we were doing meth and stuff, yeah, and yeah. he was also schizophrenic. So we couldn't go to court. Um, so there was a warrant out for my arrest and, uh, eventually we got a lawyer. His dad got me a lawyer and, uh, I turned myself in and went to court. I didn't have any hair or anything cause I shaved it all off cause, or cut it all off cause yeah. I thought there were parasites like living in all of my hairs, every hair on my body, basically. Uh, that was one of my problems. Was, yeah. It was a meth thing, you know, when yeah. you're on meth, like bugs and all that. Mm-hmm. But, um. So I went to court just looking like like a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told them that I would go to rehab just so that they would like, you know, lessen the charges or lessen the, you know, the consequences. Um, and that's, you know, they were like, okay, that's great. So I went at the very last minute, you know, the last day. They gave me a timeline and I went on the very last day because uh, I didn't want to go. Right, like, you have to and- go by this date. <laughs> You yeah. you walked in the door on by that date. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went I went to detox first. Yeah. So because I was on heroin, so I had to detox before I could figure out rehab. Um, and as soon as I got to detox, I was away from Adam, and he was uh, still doing drugs while I was in detox. And I started feeling a lot better because uh, they gave me this drug called methadone. Uh, it's something that people take to get off heroin, um, and they were just giving me like certain meds that made the detox really easy and smooth. Um, and I started like feeling just like better being by myself and being separated from him. And, uh, just, I don't know. I almost started coming alive, I guess. And that's not a feeling that I had in a really, really, really long time. Um, so I picked a rehab, uh, in Florida and uh adam and his dad picked me up to take me to the airport and adam was still in psychosis and he was sweating and he was just talking about the government being after us and all this stuff and i was just like wow like he and i are just worlds away right now because i was sober you know um so i went to rehab and it it was a struggle um especially at first Mm -hmm. because i wasn't used to being around people I was used to just being alone in my house away from everyone and just doing drugs. Um, so it was just, it was an adjustment and I had some low moments and I did resort back to like an eating disorder behavior. I stopped eating for a bit, but then they threatened and I lost like 10 pounds in a week and they threatened to send me to another facility. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sick of going to like going to different hospitals and outpatients and all that. So I resolved to try to get better, like just try. Cause instead of, you know, going to a place and just wanting to get better in one way and not the other, I needed to, it was either all or nothing, you know? So I actually, yeah, I started making progress after they kind of threatened that uh, on me, the going to another mm-hmm. facility. 
And I did start running while I was in rehab because um, it was like a college campus setup. It wasn't, a, it's not a hospital setting. Yeah. Uh, there were like dorms and a big dining hall and it was very nice. Um, so I went running with a guy one morning at like 6 a.m. And we smoked cigarettes too. I smoked like a pack a day. <laughs> um, so I would go, we would go for a run in the morning and he was like super tired and out of breath and stuff. And I was just like, wow, like that was great. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my uh, running in rehab period. And I would go on the treadmill too. So I would go on the treadmill or sometimes I'd go outside, but I didn't have any clothes or anything. Um, I didn't have, I had to like get clothes from the lost and found. And I think I had a pair of running shoes. I, I don't even know how I got them, but <laughs> I guess I did. Because uh, I just didn't have a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I... I just remember there was a moment in rehab where they're like, Oh, like you can, you, you know, insurance is up. Like if you want, you can go, or we can ask your insurance for more time. And it was like at day 45 or something like that. And I was like, can you please ask insurance for more time? Because I don't think I'm ready to leave rehab yet, right. which was, it was just actually a really good thing. Yeah. Like that's a sign of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a very positive experience. Uh, because I was finally able to make that choice of like, yes, I do want to get better. Um, so yeah. And then after that, I went to uh, a sober living, which is, I don't know if you know that what that is, but it's like when you go to a house full of like people who are in recovery and trying to get better and they have to go to AA meetings and NA meetings and there are certain rules and stuff. So I picked Asheville, North Carolina, um, which was just super random uh, someone at my rehab said that it was a nice place and I was like I guess I can go there because I wasn't going back to Connecticut and I could go anywhere I mean my parents helped me pay rent at first because I didn't have any money and a car I didn't have like really anything yeah so I flew on to Asheville and uh, <laughs> I started my life there um, which was really cool because I didn't know anything about the town I didn't know anything about North Carolina uh, I thought everything was going to be a lot closer together, like within walking distance, and it was not. Um, <laughs> I did walk places, but it took a, a bit longer than I would have liked. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't running, like when I got out, I was still smoking a, a ton of cigarettes, and I wasn't really, I didn't have money for food really. So I was eating candy or like just pretty unhealthy, but still yeah. not doing drugs. So that's the important thing, at least. Um, Let You know what? Candy's and... a step in the right direction. <laughs> exactly. If you spent three yep. months of your life living on Snickers and Milky Way, I'd be like, you know what? It's a step in the right direction. Exactly. Let's let that go. Yep, totally fine. Um, eventually, I got a job, and I was making money, and I could finally buy my own food and stuff like that. So, And I was starting to feel like kind of icky. Like I was starting to feel not good in my body and i was like hmm what is missing what can i do to help so i went for like a 10 minute run you know and because that's kind of what i've always fallen back on in order to just like make me give me clarity make me feel good just in my body um so after that 10 minute run i was like okay that that felt great you know it was hard but it was good because it was just it was just a simple thing and it just like changed my day completely. Mm -hmm. So I started being consistent with the running and I would go, uh, and it was just like on the road, on the sidewalk, like 10 and then yeah. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, just typical beginning beginners, uh, running thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I started getting at least like, you know, four five, six miles. Um, but I was still smoking cigarettes. So I felt very guilty, uh, about that because mm -hmm. I would come home from a run and then I'd go sit on the porch at the sober living and I would smoke a cigarette <laughs> and it didn't feel right. <laughs> I felt like a fraud. Um, well, well, and then all of a sudden you discover this guy named Laz who's got, uh, <laughs> who smokes probably more than you do and is the man responsible for some of the, the greatest ultra races around. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, it's mind blowing, but, um, <laughs> It, it, I guess it can be a thing, but I made the swift decision. I visited my parents in Connecticut and I think it was the end of 2019. Yeah. And um, I just didn't want to smoke around them. I was feeling really guilty and I had been feeling the repercussions of smoking like in my lungs mm -hmm. and just all that. And cause I had been in love with cigarettes 
uh, for a long time and smoking and I never wanted to give it up. But I got to Connecticut and my dad was like, hey, you know what you should do? You should sign up for a race and use that as motivation to quit smoking. So I signed up for this 10 mile race called the Resolution Run, which uh, was on January 1st, yeah. which is also my birthday. So it was like this whole, you know, beginning of the year, birthday celebration, motivation to quit smoking. And I, I had one more cigarette when I got back to Asheville, but after I smoked like half of it and then I took the rest of the cigarettes from my pack and I broke them in half and threw them in the garbage. Uh, and I never smoked again, but wow. I did, I, I chewed Nicorette gum for a bit, <laughs> <That's> um, <okay. laughs> kind of like alleviate things, but yeah, I was, I, I was done and I ran the race and I did great. Um, I pulled my hamstring a little bit, like I had a little hamstring injury after that, but not for long. It was like a month long thing. So, um, yeah, that was a hard thing to give up for sure. But, but I guess. Well, then I saw, <laughs> but first of all, your parents must've been just beside themselves to see you healthy, to see you running. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if you're my daughter and you've mm -hmm. gone through all that you've gone through and you exhibit the strength that you did to pull yourself out of addiction, to make that choice to get better and be a better person. If you got a pack of ca camels, I'm going to let that slide for a while. <laughs> like I, I'd be, yeah. I'd be so happy that, it, that, that my, my little girl's back and that she's healthy mm -hmm. and happy and found this outlet. Um, but yeah, but then all of a sudden you find running, it's almost like running brought you back. You talked about it at mm -hmm. rehab. You found the treadmill. You found the guy you wanted to go running with. And running almost showed you – it was the thing that, that, that kept you in check in middle school and high school to a, to a degree. But it's the thing that brought you, almost helped bring you out of addiction in a way. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. I mean – it's always been obviously running isn't a replacement for therapy, but it's right. also it's always been so therapeutic for me. Um, it's just the only time where I feel like truly in tune with myself, with mm -hmm. my thoughts, with my body. Um, and I think it's just always been that way. You know, some people just hate running. Some people mm -hmm. can't. They go out and it feels horrible yeah. and it's a, it's a struggle, but it's never been that way for me. It's always just been something that I've looked forward to and that just makes the day that much better um and that much more positive so it has it's always been there for me and my dad's a runner too so he he and i like bond over that and of course like he is just overjoyed at yeah. all of these things um like he called me or i called him during the race uh the 200 miler and he called me a few times after that because he was just so excited he was like Rachel, you're not, you're not like thinking of giving up, are you? I was like, no, like that's not even, <laughs> that wasn't even a possibility. And he was like, that's my girl. Like I knew, I knew like you could do it. Um, yeah. So they are definitely extremely, I feel like I just went in such a circle, but um, yeah, parents are happy. Parents are super supportive um, and running has always been that thing that's been just my pure joy, I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, I think too, I mean, yeah. think about you, cause I, I looked, you know, the first ultra sign up result you have is a mm -hmm. race called the gone loco 33 miler. And you did that in December of 2020, you finished second yeah. five hours and 21 minutes is a pretty darn good time for 33 <laughs> miles, not too shabby. Uh, and you would continue to do races that are rather difficult. Um, you would win the cloud splitter, 100 mm -hmm. that's that's no joke and then to mm -hmm. do this you're proving to yourself over and over and over again that you are an incredibly strong-willed person who's capable of wonderful things the self-confidence boost the self-esteem boost that these events they have to give you that right you have to be able to finish those things and go like my god i had no idea yeah. how awesome I was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's been every, every time I do a really, really hard thing, I'm just, yeah, it, it's amazing what anyone can do it. If you just put in the time and the effort and just, it, it just takes a lot of motivation and mm -hmm. consistency. Um, 
which is just something that I, it's just like kind of built into me. Uh, if I want to do these things, I know what I have to do and how I have to do it and I want to do it. So yeah, it is pretty astonishing um, at times, but I just, I know I can do them, you know, I know I can. And that's not just me being cocky or anything like that. It's just, you just have to have faith and like believe in yourself, I guess, yeah. um, which is not something I always did. So, well, no, I mean, you look at the, so you're talking about battling depression and the, and the eating mm -hmm. disorders. I mean, you, you don't love yourself when you're doing those things. You're not like, I'm awesome. I'm going to, yeah. you know, be depressed and, you know, but to see that now and to see the, it's like these events reveal the real strength that you have. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think taking that first step, it's not easy. Um, especially when you're, you're, you're pretty darn deep in the hole and to be yeah. able to <laughs> climb out of that hole is incredible. And I would say of all the ultra signup stats that you have, and they're pretty darn good. I'd be pretty proud of your ultra signup ranking right now. It's, it, it's doing pretty good, but I would say the fact that you were able to pull yourself out of addiction and make that choice to get healthy and get help. I would say that's, that's probably the biggest accomplishment that, mm -hmm. that you've had in your life. And the races are great, but I would say that probably trumps any race as of right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause I can't do, I wouldn't be able to do any of this if I wasn't able to slay those demons back there, you know, exactly. that are always existing within me. You know, I mean, they're always there, but they're just, I know how to live with them now, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. You know? And I was going to, I was wondering too, you talked about the, the demons, you, you see the same thing when you're hallucinating during a race that you saw when you were on drugs, right? Mm -hmm. As a person who had an eating disorder for a very long time, um, ultra running, ultra runners have a different mm -hmm. relationship with food than other runners do. How has it been being a person with a history of an eating disorder in the world of ultra running where it's like, you better listen, you got to shovel that crap in or you ain't going to make it. Oh yeah. Um, when I first started running longer distances, I struggled with eat like I would go on a 20 mile run and I would eat like one gel. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just not enough. It's not right. enough. Um, and I would feel the repercussions, uh, and that's how it was when I first started running ultras as well. I was not eating consistently or enough, and I didn't really have any knowledge on proper race nutrition. And I wasn't eating really well in my day-to-day -day life at that point in time either, um, because it, it, it took a lot for me to uh, kind of acknowledge that, yes, my body needs proper fuel in order for me to perform well. It, and that's just of course it's going to be like it's easy to just like skip a meal or to eat a tiny like a snack instead of a meal or whatever and mm. just be like oh well it's okay i'll just eat more later you know it doesn't matter what or this is just what i do every day so it's okay it's not it's not okay you have to listen to your body and that's what i had to learn was to listen to my body and i have a coach um aaron saft and he helped me immensely in terms of like you know, teaching me to eat every 30 minutes on training runs and during races. And I will happily eat anything that they like, that looks good in an aid station now. Um, and I eat during the day, like my, in my day, day life, I will eat just like whatever I want, whatever I feel like it. Um, no restrictions, nothing like that, because the more you restrict, the worse it's going to be. There's no right. point. There's absolutely no point. Um, especially if you want to perform well and, yeah, I do want to perform well. So yeah, and you, yeah. you have performed well. By the way, you couldn't ask for a better coach, knowledge-wise yeah. <laughs> or just person-wise. Aaron Saft is one of a kind, incredible oh, yeah. human being, and, and an incredible runner. Um, so it seems like ultra running's changed your relationship with food. Like you now understand mm -hmm. why you need to eat so you can do the things that you want to do. Like it completely almost reset your relationship with food. Yep. It did. Um, yeah. Cause like when I came out of rehab, I was still trying to kind of be restrictive and all of that because that's just what I was used to. It's what I have done for so long. Uh, but 
yeah, it's just kind of about embracing the body that you're in and knowing that uh, I'm not going to have stick legs or like stick arms or whatever. And I might have a little extra, it's not even fat, just whatever, you know, my body's going to look the way that it's going to look. And I don't even like look in the mirror and even think like, I'll say like, Oh, like I look good today. I'm never like, Oh God, like, Oh my gosh. Like look at that fat or anything like that. Um, and I don't know, it, it is just about embracing who you are as a person and knowing that this is the body that like has ma- allowed me to travel for 200 plus miles on foot. Um, and I need to take care of that. So <laughs> very, yeah, very it's good. definitely helps me. Mm-hmm. I saw a race on your results that you DNF last year or actually you, yeah, yes. you DNF 2023 and it's, you're going back this year for a little bit of redemption. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had never heard of the Jigger Johnson races. One's mm-hmm. a 100 miler, but the winning time is like 36 hours. This is in New <laughs> Hampshire through the White Mountains. Aravipa is, is, is a part of this yes. now. What is the deal with Jigger? Why is it taking people 36 hours to to win Jigger Johnson? Is it just because it's so technical and so much climbing? Or what's uh. the story behind that race? Um, it is extremely technical. Uh, it's in the white mountains in New Hampshire. The, the woman, there were only two women who finished last year and mm-hmm. the first woman finished in 52 hours. Um, so it was, it, it rained, it poured for like, I don't know, the first four hours maybe. And, um, it's just rocks, wet rocks, like climbing up wet rocks, going down wet rocks. Um, there were like knee deep bogs for like 10 miles, just mud. Uh, you, you couldn't really, you can't run that. Yeah. Um, slippery moats where you're just like, you're trying to like t- tiptoe up and then tiptoe down and you're falling and the course isn't marked or anything. So you have to like follow your watch. Um, and the aid stations are pretty, it takes a long time to get to each aid station. Yeah, I noticed uh, there's one that's like 17 <laughs> miles from the last aid station. Yeah. And it's like ski slopes, you know, it's, they're very, very, very steep climbs. And it, and I also had this chafing on my side from the rain. Um, cause I didn't, I wasn't prepared with my drop bags or anything like that. Cause there's no crew, um, unless you have someone volunteering at an aid station. Yeah. So I had this chafing that looks like a shark bite. Like I have a scar from it on my wow. side, uh, that I, I missed the time cutoff, but I had also, I realized that I was just so ill-prepared for this race because I had never been to the White Mountains before. Mm-hmm. And people had told me that it was going to be hard, but you don't, I did not realize what this race was going to entail in terms of what I needed in my drop bags and just to mentally prepare, I think. Um, and I had also been kind of burned out from life leading into that race. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of mental fatigue that didn't help with this particular event because I didn't have a ton of fun during it because it was just so incredibly difficult. Um, but I was rejuvenated after that because I met a lot of people from New England there uh, and I'm from New England. So it was just really cool because I would talk to someone who was from Connecticut and we talked about all the same running spots and I, you don't really get that around here very much. So yeah. I felt like the DNF was I was very sad about it, of course, but I also knew that it, there were so many people who DNF that race. At, um, yeah, I saw the list. I was like, it, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was just like one of those races that it's hard. It's so hard. Cruel, like the Duncan Ridge Trail, the trail I just ran, it's runnable. You know, it's it's got a lot of climbing. It's got a lot of descent, but you can run it if you want to. This one you can't you can't really run it is the most technical terrain i've ever been on in my whole entire life and probably will ever be on honestly <laughs> and you're going back bold <laughs> right yeah. and you're going yeah, back <laughs> i am i am i just i know now what i'm going into i think last year i was kind of i i couldn't picture like i saw videos but i couldn't picture it in my head but this time uh i'm gonna i'm gonna finish uh my my parents were there last year too so they we're crewing at, or not crewing, volunteering right. at an aid station, which is really cool. But um, they're going to come back this year and volunteer. And my dad wants to run a portion of it with me. And I don't know if I want him to. It's just, it's very dangerous. <laughs> like, it's actually dangerous. <laughs> like, dad, I love you. You don't want to do yeah. this. Trust I don't me, want dad. Him to get hurt. No, you don't want to yeah. hurt your dad. You know, you want to, yeah. that'd, that'd be a, that'd be a bad thing over, overall. Um, I, I have a feeling you're going to finish. Uh, if, if, uh, if uh, FanDuel and DraftKings 
has a betting section for uh, the Jigger Johnson races. I'll put some yes. money down on you Thank to you. finish this thing. I, I think you're going to accomplish wonderful things. And uh, best of luck. I think you're, you're, you've got a bright future in the sport, and I can't wait to see what you do next, Rachel. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. 